0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Weaver Beyond the Numbers, the business of government. I am your host, Adam Jones. Today, we have a very special guest, and we intend to talk about small things like, I don't know, the future of government. Uh, with us today is Porter Wilson. He is the executive director of the Employees Retirement System of Texas, one of the largest public pension funds in the world with over $35 billion in assets, and um, we have known each other a long time, Porter, uh, and and you have had an incredible public service career that stretches back some twenty five years, maybe a tad longer. Without giving away any, or, any of our ages, uh, where did that where did that start, and how did you get here? Yeah, well, you know, it's um, if I'm if, if
1: I'm going to have a detailed accounting of it, Adam, I tell you, I started actually my my in, in college. I mean, I got my start as a tour guide in the capital. Uh, while I was in college. So, I mean, I've literally worked around uh, state government my entire adult life. But my, you know, the most substantive piece of my career, I spent uh, 20 plus years working at the Capitol for a a member of the legislature, both on the House side and on the Senate side. Uh, Same member for for 22 years working on, um, you know, education policy, uh, which is actually where we met each other, working on education policy and, and higher ed and public ed policy, but also uh, the last, you know, 10 to 12 years of that, I worked on uh, pension uh, funding, pension policy, as well as uh, public health care, uh, specifically as health care as it relates to the employee's retirement system and to the teacher retirement system. And so um, those, uh, that really was that experience, I guess, that, that, that gave rise to uh, to the position I'm in now, I've been here for seven years as the executive director of the employees' retirement system, and so yeah, I spent uh, you know almost 30 years now um, in state government.
0: When you look at state government leadership, not everyone can make the transition from the legislative branch to the executive branch. Um, in your role now as a state official and a fiduciary. How do you balance the relationships and agendas of legislative leadership, multiple stakeholders, the executive branch that that seems to be a place state officials can get caught up in this uh, day and age?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, for me it's it, it's about you know listening and understanding, really trying to understand the the perspective of the various stakeholders, but understanding we we have a position too. we have a uh, an obligation as fiduciaries uh to to um to, to, to sort of balance that and and really that as far as i'm concerned um is is most important uh to that we communicate that right so that we have you know open honest uh, transparent communication with all the various uh interested parties uh, to what we do so that they understand our perspective uh but also again it's 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 incumbent upon us to sort of understand the various competing um, uh, perspectives that may exist out there, be they the, the active members, the retirees, the legislature, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the general public, um, uh, the, the, the news media, whoever it is, understanding everyone uh, has a job to do and they have a perspective that goes with that. But then also just working to really be open and honest and transparent with, with, with what, what we have to do and where we're coming from. And I, you know, I've, I've, my experience has been, and, and maybe it's because I've existed in a, a variety of different places and worked with a, a number of, of, of the stakeholders uh, that are interested in what we do at ERS over the years, that you know I've, I've developed credibility I think with with a lot of those folks to, to understand that that, um, uh, that that when we're talking to them about some of the challenges we have uh, with maybe a, a, a point of view or a perspective that they have that um, that we're willing to sort of you know, work with them on that and, uh, and understand it, but that, you know, that when I tell them where we are, um, that, that, that I'm, that I'm being honest with them and, and, and I think they appreciate that. So I'd say, you know, it's, as with so many things, it comes down to communication, right? So just again, trying to make sure that we're clear in our position uh, as to what we're doing and why and, and sort of what the rationale and the reasoning is behind that.
0: When you look at the two things that impact ERS the most, the financial markets and healthcare, um seven years ago might as well have been decades ago, the change is so rapid and evolving. How how the major issues for ERS changed during your, your tenure as executive director? You know, I mean at Certainly at a, at a micro level, there are lots of different
1: challenges we have, but I'd say, you know, at, at the macro level, they're largely the same, right? I mean, um, on, on the, on the pension side, you know, trying to make sure that we're, um, you know, that we're managing uh, the four pension programs that we, that we administer uh, for long-term, uh, sustainability, trying to make sure that the, the benefits and the, and the revenue uh, streams uh, and the investment pieces are all working together to make sure these programs work. Uh, for, for long periods of time, because these are long-term funds and long-term uh, benefits. And so, you know, that hasn't really changed. Markets, you know, see volatility. At, at You know, 10 years ago, uh, we were coming out of the great financial crisis. Uh, markets, you know, were, uh, we, we didn't know we were getting ready to go on such a, a great uh, uh, bull market. But um, again, managing through volatile markets has not really changed over time. Um, and then on the healthcare side, it's the same thing. It's, you know, trying to balance, um, utilization, uh, and cost, uh, making sure that people, um, are, um, able to utilize their healthcare, but really trying to encourage people to stay healthy and well so they don't have to utilize it. And then trying to cut, uh, and negotiate really great rates uh, to keep the cost down. So, you know, at the macro level, again, those things haven't really changed and and I don't expect they'll change over the next uh, years now you know, probably one of the you know the biggest challenges we've got um uh, that's that's probably emerged uh, in the last 7 to 10 years is is you know is procurement um and it's important it's a it's a big piece of of what we do it's um it is uh, virtually everything i mean all the healthcare programs we administer many of the uh, investment funds for our outside uh, money managers are, are procured and there's been a lot of movement in the procurement space in the last 7 to 10 years and so we are you know constantly working to figure out how do we you know continue to um be responsive and nimble but also um making sure that we provide the assurance that we need to ins- assure um to, to, to stakeholders that we're getting best value. And that's part of what I think has, has, you know, kind of been an emerging issue over the last 10 years, especially since I got here, is is that assuring that you've got a really great process, doing great due diligence to make sure that these, in some cases, you know, very large contracts are being fully vetted and considered when they're awarded. And so, uh, but you also need to be able to be um, nimble and it can't, uh, and, and responsive and make sure you're providing great benefits um so i'd say that's probably been our biggest challenge just sort of uh, is trying to uh, you know navigate the the procurement um sort of requirements that have that have come out in the last 7 years uh in a way that is um is is efficient and that we don't spend um you know too much time um uh, where where we can't get anything done so it's it's the balance yeah. really Adam and, and
0: doing it all under the bright glare of public stewardship
1: of course it's it's important that's exactly i mean that's the important thing I and mean, these are and these are you know these are public funds where we're investing in them they're they're trustee funds and we have an obligation to make sure that we're being not just good stewards but the best stewards of them we can good you know fiduciaries for this and so having a strong process uh, to ensure that you're that you're getting the best value is important. Um it's you know just sometimes um you know y- y- you gotta make sure you're doing that in in a way that doesn't just bog you down
0: so Porter I want to shift and talk a little bit about the future of the government workforce the, the people who make it happen on a day-to-day and there are a million articles I could quote about the great resignation but what strikes you about the current experience of government employee? I know that we are losing people to retirement. People are uh, taking advantage of a, of a labor market that we've never seen before. What kind of trends are you seeing in government employment, and what do you expect over the, the next two or three years?
1: Yeah, it's something we're looking at um, uh, in, in very very closely right now. We're, as a matter of fact, we. Um, ERS this year celebrates its 75th anniversary this this coming fall as as, a, as an organization and one of the things that we're doing is trying to vision what we're uh, going to be as an organization uh, in the next you know over the next 75 years and a key piece of that conversation that we're having with our with our whole agency is you know what are we going to look like as an organization right and of course with you know flexible workspace you know autonomy. Um, you know, in, in how you work and, and and where you work is is a key piece of that. Um, and, and so I think you know I think that's really what again, you know, I'm hearing is that don't we going to be you know, and where we're heading is trying to is trying to be flexible, right? And and, and understand that that we're not going that one size isn't going to fit all, uh, even within our or within our organization. And so we're trying to really empower our our our, our leadership. With our, within our organization, uh, to, to sort of be responsive within their own individual units to what what kind of that model needs to look like, and I'll also say you know that for for, for us it's a it's a matter of of you know understanding that what we have today probably is going to look different tomorrow, and then even in five years, and that, that this evolution isn't going to be stagnant; it, it's going to continue to happen, and that. Um, while we may have in our mind what things look like today, when we're looking back uh, at this, you know, over the next uh, or looking out at this over the next several years, it's going to be changing every year, and as people, um, it'll it'll evolve. And so that's what I think we're we're trying to, um, to to sort of embrace is that that there's going to be an evolution. Flexibility is going to be a piece of it. Uh, and that, um, that, that folks just want a, a bit of extra autonomy that goes with that. And, and with that comes, you know, additional efforts probably to, to, to understand accountability. The way you, you hold people accountable, uh, to, to what your expectations are is going to have to evolve a little bit as well. Um, so that you can ensure that again, we're getting, um, uh, you know, working efficiently and getting all the things, uh, done that we need to get done.
0: I, I want to talk about future leadership. There are, there are, of course, people at the heads of agencies, universities, cities, school districts all over who will change hands over time, but there are deputy directors and division heads and key folks in every area of operations what do you look for in emerging leaders and and particularly what do you look for to sort of make public service attractive to younger people coming up in organizations
1: yeah I mean to start off with I mean I'm, I've always been a, a very you know positive person glass half full uh, kind of person and so I, I I really look for that in leaders as well it's not to, to say that you need to be Pollyanna but I need people to have you know passion and love for what they do and be um Positive and and a can you know, kind of can do attitude like what what can we do and, and really embrace the the importance of what we do and so the other thing I'll say from leaders is you know in a, constantly looking for the opportunities to improve be it improving the process be it improving uh, themselves uh, that's certainly uh, something that, that I'm going to sort of focus on personally is is kind of continuous improvement and that's a uh, you know an easy catchphrase but I think really looking and not being scared. Sometimes people can can take a look at, uh, at um, at you know, at, I take a critical look at things and sometimes uh, take this maybe too personally or or have too much personal um, uh, energy at stake in that to, to sort of want to change. And so I, I don't know. I think for me, it's about people being open uh, and in really embracing those opportunities uh, for, you know, for improvements. Uh, and then it's not only just identifying, but seeing what needs to be done and then going and doing it, right? And it seems oftentimes there are lots of people out there who want to, you know, tell us, um, you know, a hundred different ways why something shouldn't be done or can't be done. You need to listen to those things and understand them. But once you've decided that something, you know, you want to do something, figuring out how to get there is, um, is I think, a key skill um, for for the leaders I'm looking for. Because, you know, if you're, if again, you're trying to improve, and you can't get to that improvement. It's really frustrating. And so, how to, you know, sort of navigate your way through the hurdles that may exist to get to what you ultimately want to do um, is is really important in leaders, as far as I'm concerned. Um, otherwise, uh, it, it's really frustrating because because you you might see things you want to do, you just can't get to them.
0: It, it's my experience. We have a generation of young talent of um, and some pretty immense talent, but they approach the uh, world of work differently than certainly our generation and certainly the generation before us. The idea of staying at a place for 30 years and collecting a pension and moving on is not something that is top of mind to recent college graduates and young employees. How do you make um, public service attractive to that next generation coming up, and and I'd also like for you to talk a little about something you're on the cutting edge in as far as uh, pension goes. The the concept of cash balance plan. Can you touch on that a little for our audience, Porter? Yeah, I'll will hit on both those. So I, I you know I
1: think from you know from the the young workforce perspective, state workforce, at least from my experience, has always been a great opportunity for young talent to get you know. Um, you know access to real depth of opportunities a real richness of opportunities within the state workforce so um in the private sector you may go in and 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 move to some of these uh more substantive um you know work opportunities uh, a little more slowly you're you're kind of thrown in very quickly uh with a rich opportunity rich uh, set of opportunities to 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 engage in uh, in the workforce, so I think that's very attractive. It was to me as a young person coming in, uh, working, and a lot of my uh, friends and, and 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 colleagues that I know have had the same experience. You come in and, and you get uh, a real early exposure to a real depth of, of issues. But you're right; the the, the workforce, at least um, today, it, it, you know, at least what you're seeing is you know a, a bit more turnover. Uh, on resumes where people might tend to be in, in jobs for, for five or six years. And this cash balance plan that the, that the legislature adopted, uh, last legislative session, I think is, is really a great new modern tool, um, for, uh, in the benefit space, uh, to attract the, that kind of workforce. This, this cash balance plan, um, is, is, is tied to, just as it says, uh, the, the balance in your account when you retire. So over the course of your career, you contribute to an account and that account grows. Uh, the, the the plan that, that will uh, be launching next uh, uh, September uh, will be a employee contributes 6%. Uh, and over time, uh, that will be guaranteed to grow by 4% every year and uh, up to um, another 3% on top of that, depending on how we do in the markets. So there's some what we call gain sharing, some potential to uh, have additional growth in your account above 4% uh, up to 7% depending upon uh, how we do in the markets over a, a five-year rolling average. And When you get to retirement, uh, vesting is in five years and it's a little bit shorter vesting period than you have in some of the, the current benefit structures that you have for, for employees today. Um, once you get to eligibility to retire, um, you, you you take that cash balance. It gets matched by the employer at 150%. You annuitize it, and uh, it's a lifetime benefit that you can never outlive. Um, and so, the, the couple of reasons why why that's really, I think, a, a great match with the kind of workforce we might expect in the future um, is that um, the, the current benefits really only uh, accrue and improve as you're as you're sitting in a chair at a job. You get 2.3% for every year you're on the job and if you're not on the job, you're not generating that extra 2.3% for those years. And so if you work for 5 years, um you have um you know that level of experience and if you never come back, that's it. Uh, your benefit is is based on let's just say you have 10 years of experience, you have 23% of your final average salaries what your annuity would be and it, and it doesn't change. Conversely, if you put money into your account for 5 years, You leave employment to go into the public, to the private sector for some period of time. Your cash balance will stay with us and continue to grow at that guaranteed 4% and those uh, up to that 7% with the gain share. So your account would continue to grow. You come back to work, maybe mid career, start contributing again. Your account grows um, by your contributions as well as the guaranteed four and the gain share. You, you could leave again uh, and then come back later in career. And, and same thing, your account uh, continues to grow uh, in your absence. And so I think that that is really why it is a, you know, uh, a great benefit for a sort of a modern workforce that, that I think we'll see in the future. And it works for uh, the career employee as well. Um, uh, the, fo- the, the person that comes in uh, like me and, and works for 30 years. Um, that cash balance grows over time, I'm contributing a, a, over time. And so, you know, I really think it, it, it's going to be a, a great tool, a real modern benefit uh, for the state. It, it's not really a um, an earth shatteringly new uh, kind of benefit. Cash balance plans have been in use for years. As a matter of fact, um, uh, two of our sister organizations in Texas, uh, County and District Retirement System of Texas and the Municipal Retirement System of Texas, both have cash balance plans, and so again, it's it, it, it's not a, a a you know bleeding edge kind of benefit. This is something that's been proven over fifty plus years with with those with those programs. So um, we're excited uh, uh, to get it to, um, uh, in place, and um, and that'll happen starting September first. Anyone that that, that uh, comes on board for a, a state position starting September first will be in um, the,
0: what we're calling Group Four. Are you, are you seeing this in other states among your peer institutions you mentioned some of your in, in-state peers uh what what is this trend across the country to sort of make public service more attractive to the younger generation
1: Yeah and I don't I mean we didn't we didn't go into it intending to be, you know, uh, sort of trendsetters in this and in in how we we structured our particular plan but I will say that there has been a lot of interest from other plans around the country especially those uh that are struggling with uh, unfunded liabilities, perhaps. I mean, this this plan definitely changes a little bit of the balance in the risk structure, right? So, um, and, and I think that was uh, that that was you know, certainly part of what the legislature was looking for, and I think reasonably so. They 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 not only implemented, by the way, this new Group Four, but the the the, the legacy plans that we have uh, had a sizable unfunded liability, uh, and the legislature committed significant dollars to paying off that unfunded liability over the next thirty years. And instead of having a, a pension fund that was set to run out of money in thirty or forty years, we have a pension fund that's set to be hundred percent funded now in thirty years, thirty-three years. Um, but in exchange for that, you know, kind of changing the risk dynamic so that we don't, you know, so that they didn't sort of set ourselves on a path to actuarial solvency only to create new liabilities with with a new fund that it was, um, a, you know, quite a bit more uh, on the state for that if the, if if the plan didn't meet it's investment return, uh, the liability really set with uh, with the state from a contribution perspective. And so this balances that guaranteeing a four percent, um, much less risk, but also then creating an opportunity to share at 50-50%, anything over four uh, percent return uh capped it at at seven percent uh for the um for the employee so again it's 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 a, it's a great model one that we are getting lots of interest in And one that I think people really see as a sort of a a great way to manage both existing unfunded liability uh, that that exists as well as sort of out year management of the risk associated with the development of new uh, potential unfunded liability. So, yes, we're getting very favorable uh, reviews and and lots of interest from from folks around the country.
0: I'm going to ask a very, very big question question and and I understand that running ERS is about prudence and patience and long-term equity but uh, this uh, this tumultuous world right now uh, inflation supply chain exiting a global pandemic war in Europe, uh, financial market instability does anything keep you up at night? knowing your responsibility for so many future generations who've put in uh the work for for the state.
1: Yeah, I mean I I mean yes, I wake up regularly. Yeah, I, I wake yeah, I I, I I I wake up in cold sweats uh, about a whole variety of things associated with this job uh, in the middle of the night. Um I, you know, I'll say the good news and you hit on this about the investment side and it's not to Diminish what goes, what's going on in the world right now, but the assurance that I take um, is that we're we are we're long-term investors. I mean, these are twenty and thirty-year horizons, and so while there are things that happen uh, in the short term that are are not great, you don't you know you don't love to to wake up one day and see market value of your assets down. Five hundred million dollars, or something, right? Or uh, you know, a, a billion dollars uh, in one day, maybe. But what you have to understand is, again, we're long-term investors. We have diversified uh, our um, our portfolio. We have a professional investment team. This is, you know, the the thing that you, that really gives me uh, the, the the greatest assurance and is really the, the the cause for hope is we have a really great team, and I have really high confidence in our investment team. You know, luckily. I'm not the CIO, the chief investment officer. So uh, we've got a really great chief investment officer that, I've, that, that we've recently hired um, who, who comes to us with a, with a wealth of experience. Our previous CIO uh, was also an incredibly uh, capable investor and manager of his team. And we've got a really great team in-house. Our board is, is really engaged, uh, have a, a really strong board. We have an investment advisory committee. That is, that is really, really uh, deep in their experience uh, of, of all kinds of markets and have, have managed money through all kinds of, of various uh, global issues. And so I, I feel really uh, comforted by the, the structure that we have around this and that we're long-term investors. I look at my um, Apple Watch, you know, I got my Apple Watch here, look at it and, you know, it's today it's red, you know, and I, and I try not to panic about that. I get a daily uh, report um, that, that tells me what the market value of assets are. Uh, and, and someday it comes out at midnight. I look at that and, you know, some days uh, it's great. You know, we're up two or three hundred million dollars. Four hundred million dollars is a great day. Some days you're down. Have to continue to, uh, you know, remember that our investment objective is a you know, a five-year objective, but really we're looking out 20 and 30 years. And so, you know, in answer to your question, yes, you know, there are things that keep me up about the current state of affairs in our world uh, and certainly how that impacts what we do in the investments uh, world. But we have a really strong team, a really strong structure around what we're doing and, um it's not to say that you can control for every risk, but, but but I feel that we have the best structure in place that we can. And, and there are just certain things you can't do anything about. You just, you know, I mean, the, 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 the things that happen in the world happen. You just have to, uh, you can't plan to control them. You just can only control what you do about them and what how you're positioned to deal with them. And, and, I, and I feel really good about the, the process we have in place uh, to sort of uh, account for that, uh, at least. The extent that you can
0: well I, I have two final thoughts border one is I'm impressed you're awake at midnight I I am not um, so let's <laughs> well, you know Adam I,
1: I, I play in a band and so we, we play until late nights and so right. you don't you don't just you don't just turn that switch on on a Saturday night when you have a gig So, you
0: know, you got to be, you got to be prepared. Um, And that was my other comment. I have been lucky to not only know you as a, a tremendous agency administrator, but also a a very capable and entertaining musician. So last question, you knock off work today, you pick up your guitar. Um, What's the first thing you're going to play this afternoon or this evening?
1: Oh, I, I'm, um, I, like so many people I'm I'm beyond ecstatic about the Turnpike Troubadours um reunion and, and the fact that they're back together so Seven Oaks is my song of choice these days on on my guitar kind of a fun polka song we're trying to add and so Seven Oaks by Turnpike Troubadours is is without question the the song I'm I'm playing when I get home tonight
0: You heard it here first and this is the first <laughs> time This is the first time that uh, beyond the numbers, the business of government will come with a Spotify playlist. Um, I really, really appreciate your time Porter and I really appreciate your service to the employee's retirement system of which I am a member. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you Adam and uh, happy San Jacinto day to you. And um, thanks for the invite. You bet. Um, this is another episode of Weaver Beyond the Numbers, the business of government. We look forward to your feedback and input. And until next time, I'm Adam Jowell.